Welcome to Archery Talk 101 podcast, your guide to better archery skills. We'll bring you the latest tips, tricks, and expert advice, but that's not all. We'll also have interviews with top archers and industry professionals and reviews of the latest gear and equipment and much more. Hi, my name is Rory Kentenberg. I'm going to be host today on Arch Talk 101, and we have a special guest with us today. Marcus is on the, the line, and we're going to hear some good stories uh, today about his uh, hunting career and archery, and uh, going to be a lot of a lot of really good show. Uh, for those that are uh, want to interact with us, if you join the Arch Talk 101 Facebook group, uh, you'll be able to interact and get the podcast live. Otherwise, you can wait for the podcast to come out on the podcast or on my YouTube channel. Uh, welcome to the, the show, Marcus. Thank you much, Roy. And introduce yourself so everybody gets to know you. <clears throat> um, I'm Marcus Drayock. Uh, just, uh, I'm, uh, just actually yesterday was my birthday. So, uh, so yesterday was my birthday. So that was a good deal. Yeah, well, um, happy birthday. Yep. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, I just, uh, you know, love of archery. I grew up around a little small town up in Nyburn, Nebraska. And, uh, just the love of outdoors was something that, I mean, that's in my backyard up there. Uh, so that was a, a very big part of me growing up. <clears throat> uh, my dad, he got into hunting. My cousin was a big time uh, hunter. I did a ton of hunting with, you know, with my dad, with my cousin. Um, and it just, just kind of grew from there, I guess. Yeah. So where are you living now? I live in Omaha now. <clears throat> oh, okay. We're, we're neighbors. I'm in Ithaca. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, but yeah, live down here now. Uh, job brought me down here now. Um, I work at uh, Mutual of Omaha, um, but then, uh, you know, it, uh, I always say it kind of pays for my hobbies, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. I, I do get out and, uh, I don't sit down once I'm done with work, uh, for the day I'm out uh, doing something that's for darn sure. So, yeah. so what got you started in archery? Um, you know, actually, initially I started out, uh, with my dad, I, it was, it was kind of funny, you know, me as a little kid growing up my number one uh, Christmas list from Santa Claus every single year was to get a BB gun. And just because I wanted to have a BB gun and my dad, he would go out hunting all the time with a, with a couple buddies. And that was back when we had pheasants and he pheasant hunted a lot and turkey hunted and deer hunted. But until I got to be, I think maybe 12 years old, I was not allowed to go. You know, I was at home and, you know, I'd see him when he come home and hear the stories and all that stuff from him. But I just, you know, at that time I wasn't old enough to go. And so I, I stayed at home with it, with uh, that. Um, but then it was about, I don't know, maybe 12 years old. Uh, my dad let me go deer hunting with him for the first time. And we went rifle hunting and, um, you know, he shot a deer and, and kind of went from there. <clears throat> um, and I think from an archery perspective, it was probably, I think I was maybe 16 or 17 years old. And my cousin who lived in Lincoln, uh, Gary Kurtzer, he ended up giving me uh, one of his uh, bows and let me use one of his bows. Well, I always thought like where I actually sat rifle hunting, I was kind of watching this, this draw cut through just this natural bottleneck between two draws. Yeah. And like, oh my gosh, that would just be perfect place to archery hunt. Well, my cousin ends up giving me a bow, gives me five arrows and okay, here we go. Well, it was a old bear two-wheeled bow, um, no sight on it, 
uh, just a finger, you know, just fingers and everything like that. And I got five arrows and I go out, I climb up into this oak tree with my dad. We kind of set up a, you know, nailed a couple boards into this oak tree. And I mean, I hunted a couple few days and all of a sudden I have this, uh, this uh, little four by four, you know, just a little Baskerac four by four come underneath me. And I shot that deer, um, at about 10 yards, you know, luckily I got him, I spined him and, you know, he's laying on the ground and I proceeded to empty the rest of my arrows at him trying to, you know, finish him off, uh, as, as he's sitting down there on, you know, as he's on the ground, he can't get away. And I finally ended up climbing down out of the tree, grabbed another arrow that, that I'd already shot and ended up finishing him off. But I was just that, that, that to me was the ultimate, uh, archery experience. And, and that, you know, something I'll never forget. I still got that deer on the wall. Uh, got his horns mounted and stuff and, you know, come home to my dad. And it was like, oh my gosh, look at this giant that I got. And so, yeah, it was, it was a cool deal. Yeah. You, your first one is always a little, especially your first buck is always a, a memorable one that you, you don't forget. And yep. Yep. That is for sure. So, but yeah. And then, you know, that I, I did deer hunt a lot up at the, uh, with archery then up at, uh, you know, Niagara with my dad. And then I ended up moving down here, went to college and still, you know, during college, I was still, you know, I was limited in somewhat the time that I could actually get away. Right. So then ended up, uh, uh, doing still some rifle hunting and mostly during through college and had a couple buddies in school that were, were into archery also, and kind of got into shooting bows a little bit in college. And when I graduated from college, I come down here and you know, had to find new places, new spots and stuff and yeah. ended up, you know, that was back in the day when you could actually knock on doors and actually get permission. Um, I kind of did a goal for myself was to be within an hour of, of my house. And I ended up finding a farmer down by Plattsmith that allowed me to hunt on it, on his place. Um, he's got, you know, had a little bit of, you know, deer woods down there and everything and hunted down there for, I think maybe two years before I finally got, uh, I ended up finally getting a deer down there and it ended up making Pope and Young. Oh, uh, that's so <laughs> that, was the, that was, you know, my biggest deer ever. And, and was one of those things is I was just, you know, unbelievably excited and ecstatic about that. And, and just kind of, you know, I've fostered that relationship since then. And I've been down there for 30 years now, uh, oh. still same property for 30 years uh you know the the gentleman that owned it now his uh daughter and uh, son-in-law own the ground now and i just still still able to get on to, to the ground down there and it's still one of the one of the cool places that i've got to hunt down there so yeah platforms is pretty pretty nice there. they got some good woods down in that area yeah yep yep and then it was kind of kind of interesting from that perspective too then uh you know, from an archery perspective, I, uh, you know, I got, I got my first Pope and Young deer down there and was trying to get it scored. Uh, and I kind of knew a little bit about scoring and, you know, kind of one of those things is I kind of had an idea of how to do it. I read it and all that stuff. Well, <clears throat> ended up calling around and, and just couldn't find anybody really to score it, uh, around here in the Omaha area. I had, couple people and they were like, oh yeah, bring your deer head, you know, and leave it with us. And, you know, we'll get at it in a month or so. And, and I was like, wow, that's, you know, this is my trophy. This is my baby. Right. You know, 
not going to leave this with anybody, you know, and, and all this stuff. Well, so finally ended up calling Pope and Young and got to, got a hold of them, uh, Glenn Heisey up in uh, uh, Chatfield, Minnesota. And he's, he put me in contact with the gentleman in Fremont. So I ended up going over there and talking to Jim, uh, the a Pope and Young score over there in, in Fremont. And this Jim Newman, we got to be pretty good friends. And by gosh, the next year, I ended up lucking out and getting another Pope and Young deer the next year. Uh, <clears throat> a nice five by five the next year. So, you know, I called Jim up and asked him about scoring a deer and yeah, come on over. And so we talked about it and, you know, about the deer and kind of, he showed me some things and he kind of mentioned to me, he goes, well, what do you, have you ever thought about scoring for Pope and Young? like well no not really but i mean i you know i like to do this and and hear the stories and and all this stuff and he's like well he says well we could submit an application and all this stuff he said there's no guarantees he said it could take you know one year two years five years or 10 years before you're ever you know potentially considered to score for pope and young because they at that point in time you know 25 years ago they just didn't they didn't take a lot of scores at that time yeah and so I, uh, I put in an application in January and Jim was my sponsor and I'll be gosh darn in, uh, April, I ended up getting a uh, call from Pope Young that, uh, I could come up to Chatfield, Minnesota and, uh, take the scoring class. So that was quick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I've, I got into scoring, uh, the, uh, all of the stuff from, you know, the Pope and Young perspective, got the class, met Glenn and and his son kevin and and all this stuff you know up there in minnesota and we had a great time up there i met you know some really cool people from alaska and scores from you know all around the country there were 16 of us there and that's just you know got to got to be real good friends with ricky krueger then in fremont also a big scorer and and just you know it's kind of went from there i was able to also score in the 31st uh biannual uh meeting here that was in Omaha a few years ago I got to score the I think we had 104 of the largest animals in the country then um so yeah it was uh that that's a very very cool thing so yeah that that's the interesting part here all the the hunting stories and everything else and you know that's what's you know so cool about the podcast is I get to hear all these hunting stories from from the the, the new archer that is just starting out to the uh, guy that's been shooting archery for 60 70 years to uh, semi-pros pros and olympic archers it's it just yeah. everybody's story is it's just so different it's so cool to listen to them yeah yeah it's uh it has been a, a just a very cool thing i mean just i you know it's when i score deer it's i bring them down to my basement i've got uh, a seven foot alligator gar on the wall i've got mule deer and whitetails and walleye and you know other deer all over the wall i've got hogs down there and stuff and and it's kind of my little man cave and and people come over and and we score you know the deer and i just love to listen to their stories it's it's something i've scored 80 inch deer that people have brought to my house and i've scored you know 250 inch deer that people have have brought over and it's every story is cool to listen to everybody and and you know the different things like that it's it's a really a, a really neat neat thing to be able to hear all their stories yeah it's uh it's always interesting stories you know all of us that hunt have got yep. hunting stories you know the 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 ultimate one that was just so cool to do and then 
than the one that was challenging and and the one you know ones that you know you just remember and yeah i know my my first year was just a small basket buck and i'd been hunting for a while and i think i hunted about five years before i finally got a shot at one i could have mm -hmm. had a shot earlier but i didn't realize i could really have taken the shot you know <laughs> and so yep. look at it and and then so this one here it's like okay here's a trail they're going on it was out of two rivers mm -hmm. you know where that's at but oh yeah i had to get up 20 feet in a tree to get over the set of bushes to the trail and that's that field between those two sets of trees yeah. um, that, that big big grass field it's all changed now but so i had to be up that high to get through it I, i'm just new i've got you know a fairly new bow um for me anyway set at 52 pounds to mm -hmm. 21 17 arrows with 145 grade tip yep. Holy, you know so it's a pretty heavy arrow 52 pounds and i drew back and i shot and that deer turned that arrow was hanging almost all the way out of that deer oh wow almost went passed through heavy arrow lightweight yep of course now i'm shooting a little bit lighter arrows and yep heavier weight but oh yeah but yep. yeah it was it, it was a, and we could see where it went but i wanted to blood trail it you know in great big tall grass out there i wanted to try and blood trail it and you know, oh yeah it's out there with he had already found it it's like i'm still going to try and follow it with a blood trail because i want to learn how to do it oh yeah yep yep yeah i have uh that is the thing is i've i've had some really cool stories and stuff like uh in my background here i got a some mule deer up on the wall here in the background and actually i shot a um um it's be this mule deer here the one that's directly above me there it's actually yeah. still uh in partial velvet um but that deer um i shot out around the valentine area out there and the this deer so i i go out there and a lot of times i just i will sit in glass it, i mean with mule deer out there there's no trees where i hunt the pastures are just you know they're just little coolies and stuff like that just little little things like that. Well, I end up going out there and I see this buck and I watched him for three days. And, you know, just, I, I got him within 80 yards one day. I, another day I had him about a hundred yards. And the last, the third day I'm like, okay, I, you know, this is on Saturday. I got a couple more days to hunt, but I got to kind of start kind of pushing the envelope here a little bit now and yeah. end up uh, that I see the deer and well, actually, I spotted the the second biggest buck in the group. There was the, kind of three of them that were hanging out together. And I spotted the number two buck, but I didn't see this this bigger deer that, you know, that I had seen the previous couple of days. And I'm like, gosh, they got to be close to each other. You know, they're kind of hanging out together. It was still in October. They were still in their bachelor group, still in October. Yeah. And I end up uh, finally kind of sneaking down through the field and ended up uh spotting this uh this the number two buck and i saw him go up and he was kind of working behind this little hill and a lot of the the area was was blocked i couldn't see it just kind of there was a pretty big deep cut in there and i thought you know what maybe if i just i'm i'm just going to sneak up there and see if i can peek over that hill and see if i can see any other deer that are up there you know because they laying in the shade there you know laying out of the sun and Sure enough, I sneak about a mile through the pasture, get down there, climb up over this hill, and all of a sudden I see this buck. <clears throat> and he is actually bedded down, and he is bedded down, facing exactly directly at me. 
I mean, I'm looking up over this hill at about 60 yards and he is exactly facing directly at me. Well, the other buck, the number two buck, he was kind of feeding along still on that side hill and they're still, still 60, 70 yards away. And he ends up finally kind of just walking up the hill and goes up and beds up just a little further up into this cut, just a little further. But the deer I was actually looking for was bedded right there in front of me. He's 60 yards away. So I'm like, okay, let's see what we can do. And I got a few yuccas in front of me and stuff. So I, I belly crawl about an hour's worth of belly crawl. And I make it about 20 yards <clears throat> and I get to like 40 yards away and I range find it and range find it and range find it this deer about a thousand times. I got my bow laying down in front of me. I'm sitting kind of side saddle on this hillside trying to hide behind a couple of yuccas and not pick my head up, you know, just full camouflage, kind of one of them deal, trying to blend into this, this hill. And this deer is just constantly watching me. Yeah. I mean, it's not watching me, but he's looking directly at me. If I make any move wrong, this deer is going to see me. And I've got all the grass cleared out where my bows land and everything like this. Cause I'm, I'm just sitting on the ground, kind of side saddle on the ground and just you know starting to cramp up and just you know everything like that i'm shooting 70 pound bow so it's it's not not going to be one of those those fun things to draw sitting down on the ground and and but i'm sitting there and i'm just kind of watching and i'm just i kept constantly watching with binoculars peeking through the yuccas thinking just close your eyes just for a minute you know just close your eyes and get give me just that opportunity that i can you know, clip on and draw and, and get him shot while he's laying right there in his bed. And I proceed to do this. It's for probably about two hours. And he just never, never looks down. He never turns his head. Really. He just constantly just kind of sitting there, just like, just chilling, you know, no big deal. Just kind of sitting there watching. And all of a sudden I must've, I must've got just peaked up a little bit too high. And this deer kind of snaps his head to the left and to the right. And he just kind of like that. And I'm like, oh, the deal's up now. And I reached for my bow. I grabbed my bow, clipped my release on. And as I did that, that deer stood up. And he stood up and looked like where that other deer had, had walked up the hill. He looks up there, looks back at me. And I was already at full draw. And about that time, I let the arrow go. Well, when I let the arrow go, the deer you know, he was aware he, he saw me and he ducked the string. Well, when it, when I, the arrow's on its way already and I ended up catching him above the spine in both of the back straps. And this, you know, it's, it's a, the deer, it, the arrow goes right through him. The deer spins and turns and starts to run. So Roy, this deer, now I'm watching this on this hillside, he's running across a pasture that is two miles wide and four miles long. This, you know, open, big, wide open pasture. And this deer's taken off and I'm watching him with binoculars and it, there is a pretty good amount of blood coming out of the, you know, on the top of his back. It's running down both sides of him on his back as he's running. And I'm like, I know that there's a couple arteries that, you know, lay across that, the backstrap there and everything. And so I'm kind of like, okay, you know, there's a chance. And he runs out about 300 yards and is standing out about 300 yards from me. And this deer starts jumping and mule kicking and just twisting and 
literally looks like it's a, a, a buck and bull out there in the middle of this grass. This grass is, you know, that, that big red buffalo grass out there, Indian yeah. grass out there. It's, you know, three feet tall or whatever. And this deer is just twisting and bucking and like unbelievable. I'm like, well, he, he, he kind of, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, he felt that, you know, sting on his back now and he feels that. So he's, you know, kind of like trying to get a monkey off his back or whatever, you know, he's just kind of, you yeah. know, killing it. And I proceeded to watch and all of a sudden this deer just all of a sudden breaks into a run again. And he runs out about another three or 400 yards and same deal is in grass. That's, you know, waist high on him or, you know, halfway up the deer. And he starts doing the same thing again, Roy. And I'm like, what is this deer doing? Yeah, and, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, I'm watching with binoculars. And he's about six, 700 yards out now, probably from me. And all of a sudden, Roy, I see this coyote jump up at this deer. And this deer evidently had, when he was running across that, that open meadow, you know, with all that tall grass, there must, he must have literally, the odds, he must have stepped on a coyote almost. And this coyote is now, you know, I mean, it's survival of the fittest. It's, I mean, it's right. what's in the, it, this, this coyote smells his next meal here now. And he thinks that he can take this mule deer down. Well, it's, it's just insane. I am watching this and this deer is hooking this coyote and twisting and turning and fighting this coyote and but still bleeding and so i ended up i called my uh, buddy and my dad i called clint i called my dad and i'm like you guys will not believe this this deer is out there fighting this coyote that i just shot and you know it's one of those things i'm like holy crap and and clint's like oh my gosh that and i'm i'm thinking to myself that that coyote is now helping me you know with this deer because this deer could keep running and it ends up that this deer is, you know, twisting and fighting and rolling around and everything like this. And this coyote is trying to bring this deer down. And this coyote, you know, jumps at the deer. The deer would hook it with its horns. He'd throw the coyote. The coyote would hit the ground. And, you know, I couldn't see everything from the ground. But as this coyote would jump, I could see it. And he was trying to constantly get around that deer. And, you know, my dad's thinking, oh my gosh, you better go scare that coyote away. He's going to ruin your deer or whatever. And I'm like, no, that coyote is helping me, you know, now. Oh, yeah. I mean, the blood pressure, that deer, the, you know, the adrenaline that's keeping the deer bleeding, you know, and keeping him in a spot. And I'll be son of a gun about 20 minutes. That coyote finally grabs that deer and pulls that deer down. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm watching this. I'm just, uh, you know, absolutely amazed. And pretty soon all of a sudden that deer gets up again and starts throwing that coyote around again. Well, that coyote got the best of him again. He's just losing a little more blood and ends up bringing him down one more time and ends it up that uh, pretty soon I saw the deer's head go down and I be like, you know, picked a, picked a fence post out there and walked a straight line out there and ended up walking right up onto that coyote and that deer and you know of course then the coyote he takes off right away yeah. um, but just in that short amount of time that coyote had already you know had taken a little chunk out of the hind quarter that he had already you know had taken a chunk out of that hind quarter already but but literally the the coyote actually helped 
you know, me recover that deer just from the perspective that it, you know, preoccupied the deer, kept the deer, you know, the heart rate going, the deer bleeding, you know, all of that stuff. It's it just absolutely incredible, you know, to see something like that in the wild like that was just absolutely amazing. It was like something you see on Discovery Channel or the, you know, the, the you know, Animal Planet or something like that, you know. So, yeah, that. That, that that's amazing to to get something like that and and yeah. see that going on and it makes you just realize that how how many deer coyotes will take yes you know if it yep. hadn't been that big of a, a buck yes you know, a, a little fawn or a, a smaller deer it, it wouldn't have been so much fighting and if the deer hadn't been hurt probably wouldn't even yeah you know, yeah had much I, of a chance I, I have watched so many coyotes out there walk right by deer that are bedded or deer that are, you know, just feeding in the fields and stuff in the alfalfa fields out there. They, the coyotes will walk through them. The deer will look through them. You know, they're like, the deer are not worried at all. You know, a healthy, big, mature deer like that, they're not worried at all about those coyotes. But that coyote evidently smelled the blood and just figured that it was a, you know, big enough coyote that he could take that deer down and he did not quit. I mean, and I, and I still say with the amount of blood that was coming out of the deer, I would have eventually, you know, I could watch it for miles. I could watch it for two right. or three months. And I think eventually the deer would have probably laid down and I would have been able to find it. You know, it just that the deer was aware when I shot the bow, you know, he, he ducked the string right away. You know, it was a 40 yard shot. Um, he had a little bit of time to, to duck that string. I still think I would have probably found the deer, but, but just to see that and that coyote, it was just absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. So yeah, that that's that's a cool story. You know, that it's it's stories like this that's it's really cool to listen to. Everybody has different ones. And yep. that, that was amazing. I, I imagine that's probably your most exciting hunt. Definitely, definitely one of the one of the craziest, most exciting, you know, just you know, you tell people and they're like, there's no way. I'm like. I am serious. You could not make something like that up. It's, it's absolutely, you just, you couldn't make something like that. up. It's just crazy. Yeah. That's, you know, now those of us that got out there in the wild and, and we, we bow hunt or, or hunt in general and, you know, that stuff's yeah. Okay. I believe it. Yeah. Yep. You know, I mean, it, it is just, yeah, it's one of those deals is it's, you know, survival of the fittest it's nature and, and, you know, it, I, I always tell people too, you know, it with being an archery hunter too, it's, you know, not every single shot is absolutely perfect with, for an archer. If, if people tell you never lost a deer, they've never made a bad shot. They've never had, you know, a questionable situation or something. I says, well, then you have an archery hunted long enough because I said <laughs> it happens to the best of us. I, I don't care if you're, an Olympic archer or, you know, the, the guy who shoots a thousand arrows a day, it's out in the wild, you know, things happen and just, it's, you know, we, we all do our best and we, we do our, our due diligence and, and with, you know, ethical hunting and recovery and everything like that. And yeah, that's just, just that, that stuff happens. So. Yeah. Uh, Rich Porter from the group says, happy birthday, man. You make me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah uh, rich and i uh became really good friends down here in uh in omaha just from uh on the bow fishing side of things um i do uh 
uh, youth bow fishing mentor program also with uh, Rich. We've done that several years. Um, he's, uh, he's now uh, building a new boat. Um, I built a new boat uh, three years ago. Well, this is my third season with it, like two years ago, actually. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we've, uh, we've met and done a lot of stuff from a bow fishing perspective and, uh, actually, uh, uh, I will be doing a, uh, thing with the youth, uh, the Nebraska game and parks with the youth mentor program, um, July 25th. If any of the people are on here and are watching, uh, we'll be down at Bellevue and we'll be doing a, uh, it's on the Nebraska Game and Parks uh, website. We'll be doing a youth uh, fishing mentor program down there. And I will be uh, bringing my boat actually down to the, to the event and have the platform up on it and, you know, bring my bows and all that stuff to talk some uh, youth bow fishing also. You know, that's, that's a good, a good thing. Get the kids into it, give them something to do and <laughs> Nope. actually bow fish for fish instead of bow fish on the on the Wii or whatever it is they're playing you know nowadays <laughs> yep that is the thing we uh we do yeah i get out do a lot of bow fishing uh we get to texas every year um i have a you know with with the the mounts i have here in my living room and the ones in my basement i i tell everybody i have a very understanding wife uh, <laughs> yeah I, I think I think Rich would uh, Rich would definitely uh, second that because uh, I have I in my basement I have a seven foot eight alligator gar mounted on my wall in my basement. Um, it goes you know people talk about putting something above the mantle of their fireplace. This is the entire mantle of my fireplace. It goes the entire length of my fireplace in my basement. That's so, a big one. <laughs> it. Yeah, people come in the house, they see the deer in the entryway, they're like, oh, wow, big mule deer, big white tails, this, that, the other thing. And then we go downstairs and they're like, oh, my gosh, that thing is enormous, you know, and it's, it is, it is an impressive fish, that's for sure. So, where, but where yeah. did you get that one at? Uh, I got that down in Texas. Uh, we go down south of Dallas, down in Texas, down there. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. We do this. We started doing this trip. Uh, my buddy got married and he got married down in San Antonio and I was in the wedding. So I told my wife and my girls were little at the time. This was like 13 years ago. And I says, well, I says, we're going down to Texas. I says, I've never shot alligator gar with my bow. It's always kind of been a bucket list thing. I have a gentleman here in town that I've, that I scored a deer for who kind of got me interested in it, uh, Verlin Veldhaus. Uh, he done some archery stuff or some bow fishing down in Texas with a guide. And so I started doing some research and found a couple lakes down there and rivers and stuff like that to go on. And I says, told the wife, I says, you know what, we're driving all the way to Texas for a week. We're going to pull my boat down there too. And <laughs> Not, he was right? like, he's like, okay, I guess so. And so we, uh, hooked the boat up and away we went and, uh, ended up that uh we've been doing it ever since now for 13 years we saw some just amazing fish down there it took us took us about three years to do it um to to actually figure out what we were doing but uh but yeah now we've uh we've kind of figured it out and it's it's a, a very uh, cool thing to to have the opportunity to uh to get one of these alligator guard down there we've it, it's that has some that is something that has changed immensely from when we first started doing this 13 years ago um, the alligator gar, when we first went down there, the alligator gar were 
I mean, they were a trash fish. Nobody liked them down there. Everybody wanted to get rid of them, shoot as many as you could, shoot as many as you wanted to, throw them away, throw them on the banks. They just, they, they were, they, they, they hated those fish down there. Um, the, you know, they said they ate all their fish in the rivers and the lakes and stuff. Cause they're so big. I mean, it was nothing for a fish that size that I got to have a 10 pound Buffalo or a carp in its belly. Well, yeah. after you know, with the game and parks, the Texas Department of Wildlife and stuff, they figured out that that these alligator gar are not they're not so much a big uh, game fish eater. They're, they're not chasing the bass and stuff like that. They are in the shallows, in the murkier water, the dirtier stuff. They eat carp and buffalo and they eat a lot of the trash fish and the rough fish. So that's things have changed down there. And it went from, the, like they said, the first year shoot as many alligator guards you wanted to. Um, then it went to, it was one fish per person per day to do it down there. And now in some of the rivers or in one of the rivers down there, the Trinity river, it is, you apply for a tag now and they give away, I think it's like 300 tags or a couple hundred tags they give away. but that allows you to then get one fish in that river uh, the entire year. And so if you do not have a tag, you, you can't uh, get any of the alligator guard. You can't shoot any alligator guard of that river unless they're smaller than 48 inches. They have an actual size limit on it that they're trying to protect the larger fish. So you could actually, you can shoot you know, buffalo, carp, needle nose gar, anything like that, or smaller alligator gar, not just the big ones. Um, now that's in one of the rivers, the Trinity River, but then in the lakes down there, um, and and the rest of the rivers like, oh, like the Brazos, the Sabine, and some of those uh, rivers that are down there. And then you've got lakes like Choke and Falcon and different lakes down there. Um, it's still one fish per person per day then in those lakes. Um, but there is now a reporting system. Uh, they, they want to track how many alligator gar are being, uh, harvest down there. Uh, you know, whether it be by hook and line or whether it be by, uh, archery. Uh, so yeah, things have the, the alligator gar fishing down in Texas has really, really changed a lot over the last 10 or 15 years down there. But. Now that's, that's quite a change. I don't yes. Know deer here in nebraska you know when i was first starting it you got two tags period that was it yep uh you know whether it was two rifle tags to buzzler tags to archery tags it was two period and then mm -hmm. for a while it's like okay we have the antlerless season choice as many as you want mm -hmm. and then now they still have those tags but they only issue so many of them so yes uh, but you can still get more than one but at least now uh, it's a little bit better than it was when I first started, you know, two and that's it. Yep. Well, and that was the thing too, is that uh, like today, I mean, we, we eat so much wild game now. I mean, at my house, my daughters are, they grew up eating deer and fish and pheasants and turkeys and everything like that. They, that's, that's what they prefer now. That is, they, they don't like to go buy hamburger from the store. We do, we grind a hundred and some pounds of hamburger every year. You know, we cut steaks, we do jerky, we do, you know, a lot of this stuff ourselves. We do take a little bit to 
you know, some of the meat lockers to have summer sausage and that stuff made, but, yeah. but we, we do, you know, with our dough tags, the dough tags are, you know, like you said, not quite unlimited, but almost, you know, to some degree, you know, with river antler less and some of that stuff there, you're able to get multiple tags and, and yeah, it, uh, it, it, it just allows us to extend our season that much longer. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> that is, that is why, that is one of the other reasons why I think I got into the archery so much more than the rifle season. Um, you know, the rifle season was, I waited all year long for that one week out of the year. You know, it was yeah. you, forever and ever. You had 355 days of waiting, you know, for finally to go out there to, to be able to, uh, uh, rifle hunt and then it's like oh a deer comes by i shot it and now we're done i'm like what wait a second we we need to we need to do something to extend this i i love this too much to to just have this to be a one and done and quick and and all that stuff it's like let me uh let me get into the archery stand and let me see some of this cool stuff out of the the archery stand get up and close and personal with those deer and the owls and the you know, the mice and, you know, turkeys, everything else that's out there in the, the woods. It's, it's um, unbelievable what people don't realize is happening out there in the woods. Oh yeah. And, and archers are about the only ones that's going to see most of that because we're the only ones out there. We're in camo. So most mm -hmm. of the team don't know you're there. We're sitting here, you know, generally pretty much perfectly still most of the time. Yep. You, you got to move once in a while. <laughs> Especially get older, you, you kind of get stiff. So, uh, nope. but yeah, we're sitting there quiet and, you know, I hear lots of stories, you know, like the, uh, the squirrel come running up the tree, run across to you, or birds come landing on you, yep. or landing in the branches next to you. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they just, um, they, they don't know what you are. Yeah. I've had, I've had so many owls lately. It seems like the owls, I don't know. It, it's the camouflage. It's the face camo or the the netting or whatever. And and I am telling you, it's like I am like attra attracted. The owls are attracted to me. I have had so many owls fly at me and land next to me, and and I'm like, no, get away, get away. I I don't want you here. You make me nervous with your big talons and stuff like that. <laughs> I don't want you next to me here. You make me nervous when you're watching me. It's so much there. So, but. But yeah, it's, you know, and then, then the turkey hunting in the springtime, I mean, we get out of the archery, I do some ice fishing and then, uh, then we go right into the turkey hunting in the springtime. I have uh, same deal. I, I started shooting turkeys with a shotgun, you know, 35 years ago, probably. And that was when there weren't many turkeys around. It right. was a big, it was a big deal to see a, a flock of turkeys and to get a turkey, you know, that was something that was a big deal. And now, you know, what what our state has done and and everything our our turkeys are all over the place and they're very plentiful and you know the archery tags i love getting out there and sitting out there in the woods and having those things uh come in and and what what i always tell people they're like oh so what do you use for turkey hunting i'm like well i use my my deer stuff i use my archery deer equipment oh well do you use a different broadheads and stuff i says no you would be amazed at shooting 70 pounds shooting a turkey at 10 yards wing to wing and the arrow only going into that turkey eight or 10 inches into that turkey it's you know it's it's like shooting a piece of carpet they you know it it just does not you don't have that solid piece of wall to hit with your arrow to go through the turkey i mean there's occasions yes arrows do go through turkeys but i have many many times 
many more turkeys will hold, will stop an arrow versus what a deer will, you know? So, but yeah, it is, it is definitely, definitely a lot of fun with the, the turkey hunting also. Yeah, I know there's, there's a lot more turkey. Now. When I was growing up, there's lots of pheasants. Yes. You could go yeah. out pheasant hunting and walk fields and uh, mm -hmm. you know, you'd almost always see pheasants. Um, you know, I, I quit doing pheasant hunting after you spend all day walking around, you might see one or two and, and, yep. and then you, you get walking those fields and, you know, I figure, okay, do I want to do pheasant hunting? I'm going to spend all day, do all this walking, or I can go sit in a tree stand and wait for the deer to come to me and get a whole that, lot more meat. <laughs> that is exactly right. Yeah, I, I'd used to pheasant hunt all the time. I had labs and we used to pheasant hunt every weekend, just, you know, religiously. It was go out the weekend and get out with the dog and pheasant hunt again. And it was, yeah, it was, I mean, you'd go out in the mornings, you were done. You could go out and sit in the, in the tree stand and, and still archery hunt in the evening then. Well, I think I ended up get, hanging up kind of the pheasant hunting side of things was when I ended up having to, we went out, walked about 160 acres of CRP field. We had bought, I think seven or eight, uh, I think we bought seven or eight roosters from a game farm. And so we walked my dog, got my dog all tired the whole day, walking through this uh, 80 acre, 160 acres of CRP field. Then we went back just so that she had something fun to do we went out and got the birds and planted the birds out in the field and let her hunt the birds up in the field just so that she had something to do. And it was like, okay, this is, this is a little bit crazy. Now we don't have many pheasants left and uh, it's time better spent well in the deer stand now. And now my dog, uh, rather than uh, doing pheasant hunting, um, I've kind of trained her to uh, antler hunt. She will shed hunt. Oh, that's cool. So that's a, a very cool thing. Last year, she finally found her first antler completely by herself. Um, you know, we've seen antlers before. I've seen them on the ground and I've, uh, I don't point them out. I don't touch them or anything, but I just tell her to get her bone, to get her bone. And she'll look around and, and, you know, it's amazing that those antlers can sit on the ground for months on end. And that still smells different to that dog. And yeah. she, He'll find them and she'll bring them back to me. And this year we went out and I'll be son of a gun this year. We're going along. And all of a sudden I, I turned around and I saw some, some uh, bones or something off to my right. And I kind of started walking to the right. And all of a sudden here comes my dog come behind me and she's carrying an antler. I'm like, Oh my gosh, it, you finally clicked. You finally figured out what you're <laughs> supposed to here now. So, so, yep. That's a, that's a, was a really cool thing. Really cool thing. No. Yeah, it, it's amazing what what those dogs' noses can do, and yeah, yep. I, I know there was one time when I was out with with uh, our dog when we had him. Um, that's back when Game and Parks stocked pheasants one year, oh, yeah. yep. and we're walking by, and he sticks his nose in this clump of grass. Nothing comes up, and then nothing happens. I said, "Come on, let's go." Next thing, he comes back again a second time. Stick it his nose in there. Well, let's go. Next time he sticks his nose, a whole head in there and pulls out a, a, a rooster. <laughs> yep. Yep. But I had some. It wouldn't yeah. get up. <laughs> yeah. I had a, I had a dog initially that I used to keep a spreadsheet that kind of tracked, you know, when we went out, who we went with, you know, who shot the pheasants and all this stuff, kind of where we went, just kind of a, a little diary of, of, you know, what we did. 
And I actually had to have a column for my dog because my dog invariably throughout the year, she would probably catch herself four or five pheasants throughout the year that especially later in the year when it got a little colder and they'd sit a little tighter and stuff. Right. Try to let you walk by them. She would, she, you, they, you weren't beating her nose. She would end up finding them and she would still pull you out of that cattails or whatever it was. So, yep. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, one time this, this kid was over and, and also he was, he kept jumping up on her. I couldn't forget because he normally doesn't do that. Until yep. he turned around. She had a rooster tail feather in her back pocket. Okay. Oh, he was going after the, the rooster tail. Yep. Yep. <laughs> like, well, that's why he's bothering you. He got, exactly. he got a pheasant on you. He's trying to yep. go find them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, but, but the archery, it's just, you know, I don't know. It's, uh, I think it's something so cool to be able to go out there and like I say, sit out free, you know, and, and to sit there and be quiet, you know, not to say anything. I, I, I seriously think that, uh, you know, we'd be, a, sometimes our world would be a little bit better place if everybody just had to go outside shut up for a couple hours, sit there and just watch outdoors and see what the birds are doing, the, you know, everything around you is doing and just, you know, kind of decompress, calm down and all that stuff. I think it's, you know, that's, it's kind of a unbelievable drug. Just like, just like when you do actually shoot a deer and harvest a deer, that adrenaline rush that, that I get every single time I release an arrow is un it's you know you can't describe if, if you've never done it you can't describe how you can sit in the tree stand and continue to shake for minutes after you've shot that deer you know it, it's just it, it's amazing the adrenaline drug how 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 strong yeah. that thing when you when you shoot at a deer or whatever you no know? <clears throat> yeah it's it, it it's kind of uh, nice being out there and seeing all the different stuff that goes on. And I, I remember one time I, I was out there and I was sitting in a tree and the sun started coming up and the frost started forming and I'm, I'm watching frost form on my bow because it's sitting yep. hanging there, watching the frost form on all the tree branches. Mm -hmm. And then, um, on the way back on, on Q street, cause I, I lived in La Vista and, and, and out two rivers you know, yep. a 30 minute drive from my, my house to my tree stand. And yep. on the way back on the north side of that road there for a while, um, there used to be a whole row of, of evergreen trees. Okay. And I'm going back and this is the morning everything frosted. So I'm going back, all the trees are all frosted. All the, all the evergreen trees all have frost forming on them. It's, it's so cool. <laughs> yep, yep. Of course, now yep. we're all donors' houses in there now, but... I know that's the thing that it's, you know, all this landscape has changed so much. And, you know, the, the, the times of just knocking on doors and, and finding places to hunt them, them are, the places are tough to come by now. It's, uh, you know, it's fortunately, I have some, some pretty good landowners that I'm able to, uh, you know, work with and help out and, and do that stuff with, and still able to get on some, some pretty good deer hunting ground. And so it's, you know, the turkeys, the same deal. It's, I, I just, I love being outdoors and as much as I can get outdoors, that's, that's the cool thing. I mean, like right now, you know, I've got eight trail cameras out there right now. You know, I, I, it's like Christmas morning, every morning, looking at trail camera pictures and all that stuff. It's, uh, I, I have as much fun watching the deer on the trail cameras as I almost do out there hunting them actually. So, 
Yeah, there's some interesting pictures. I've got a, a property out here. We had a bunch of cameras on and um, it kind of tells you what time they're coming through. And yep. uh, okay, there's one area they're coming in through about a half hour before shooting time. Yep. yep. <laughs> and everything else is middle of the night. So yep. we got to work on trying to get them lots of coyote pictures, which mm -hmm. is why they're probably not there much except running through at night. So yep. that's a problem we got to take care of and figure out how to get them in the area. And, yep. And, you know, so I, I knew it's like, okay, no reason to go sitting in a tree stand because they're not coming through there. And yeah, it's a, it's another funny story. So I don't know, one of my landowners, he's got, uh, you know, got a big bean field and stuff. And, and in the springtime, you know, the February timeframe, the eagles and the snow geese and stuff are migrating through. So I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to try to get a couple of deer carcasses, just roadkill deer carcasses and set out in my farmer's field. I asked him and he's like, yeah, that no problem. Go ahead. So I'm, you know, trying to find road kills on the side of the road and, and pick up road kills and take out to my, my field out there. And, uh, and I've got, what I do is I try to take it out in the middle of nowhere and in the field, set up my camera on a five gallon bucket, set a big rock up on there. So the five gallon bucket wouldn't blow away. And I, you know, try to set this camera, you know, 10, 15 feet away from the deer carcass and see if I could get the, the bald eagles on the carcass and stuff. And ended up that this thing, it's just unbelievable. I am getting, I have some pictures, Roy, that are amazing of bald eagles landing and lifting off and fighting on the deer carcasses and just incredible, incredible pictures of those eagles. But what was interesting was, is it took, after I put those deer carcasses out there, it, those eagles probably i would say maybe five days four to five days before they felt comfortable to come into that deer carcass oh yeah um, and maybe even because i don't know maybe because i had the the five gallon bucket there and the camera there or something like that i don't know but it was like the crows were there immediately the red tail hawks were there immediately you know the the possum would come at night but those bald eagles would land, they would land off in the distance and they would sit up in the trees overlooking it. And they just, you know, my lander was like, oh, I saw two bald eagles out there today. You probably got some cool pictures. I'm like, no, I still don't. They, they haven't come in yet. But once they came into the carcass and figured out, you know, I guess that it was safe or whatever it was, they, it was funny to see the, it was funny to see the actual, pecking order of those bald eagles in um they would come in there and there was you i mean they would come in like football players like you get off of my carcass this is mine and and fighting amongst each other and and you know lifting in the air trying to fight each other it was just absolutely just incredible some of the trail cam pictures that i got of these of these eagles out there um made a big album took it out to my landowner and gave him a big uh album of it and stuff he was just he could not believe how good those pictures turned out and you know stuff like that it, it's just you know for having a deer carcass just a roadkill deer carcass out in a field so stuff like that just just pretty amazing yeah that that is this amazing when you get those kind of pictures and it, it's, yep. it's kind of cool what you, you see sometimes i know the one camera we had out I think the deer was basically sniffing the camera because 
because it's going by so close because it's kind of right on not too far off the trail but it, it, the one picture had this little light halo around the deer because it was just so close you know, yep. and it was a night picture so you know the infrared was reflecting off of that and and you yep. know you get their noses in there and oh yeah i've seen like whiskers in my camera and stuff like that that yeah you you sit there and you go what what is that what's that and it's like oh that must be something else it's like you get a picture of a whisker and then another picture of a whisker and then a nose and then all of a sudden the deer steps away and you get an eyeball looking at you you know like oh yep <laughs> and and even though that so many of the cameras and stuff like now that, you know, there are no glow cameras, there's no flash to them or anything like that. Those deer still know they're there. They still know they're there. They can still either hear the shutter or, you know, whatever, but they're still observant that they still know that those things are there when they're walking by. So. Yeah. And after a while they don't care. Yep. Eventually Goodbye. they get, yeah. yep. Yep. Eventually it's like Creek crossings and stuff like that. You know, I got, got a camera set up on a on a horse tank and stuff that's got you know water in it and yeah it's they look and look and look and then eventually they're like oh yeah okay yep i'm a movie star now I, i'll get a picture um good buddy of mine down in kansas clint a uh, guy who goes to texas with us uh bow fishing and stuff he used to live around here his dad still lives up here but uh um he lives down in kansas and he was chasing a, a big deer down in kansas and chased it for three years and this deer was an absolute movie star. I mean, the first deer we had all kinds of pictures of, and it was about 160 inch deer the first year. Uh, tried to get it killed with his archery. And in Kansas, things are a little different. It's one buck, period. You can kill it with archery, you can kill it with a gun, whatever, but it's one archer, one buck, that's it. So you have to make your choice. Well, first year he couldn't get it killed at 160 inches probably. Well, then the next year, this deer blew up. And he, I estimate him to be about 204 inches the next year. I mean, this deer just absolutely got ridiculous. He had forked tines on both his G2s were forked, um, big double brow tine, uh, 14, 15 inch tines on him on his G2s and his G3s, just absolutely incredible deer. And had this deer so many times on camera and work took him out of the area for a while and he just, couldn't get out to hunt it as much. And he did not want to shoot it with a gun. He was just adamant that he was not going to shoot this with a rifle. So, or muzzleloader. So he just stuck to his guns and had cameras out to the end of the year. And that deer made it two years ago. Well, then ends up that we're kind of waiting the next year for pictures on the camera and stuff. And all of a sudden we get a picture in June of this deer and this deer, same deal blew up again. And deer we didn't get many more pictures we we went from june till august without getting another picture of the deer then finally another one or two pictures in august and then it wasn't until october that we got a picture we thought maybe you know ehd had killed the deer or something like that and this deer had blown up even more and i estimated him to be about 215 and i'll be son of a gun october 27th clint killed that deer with his bow uh, shot him at literally five yards, walking underneath his tree stand, following a coyote out of the woods, shot him absolutely perfect and ended up the deer scored 214 and some change. And it, it, oh, made, <laughs> it was an inset on the cover of North American Whitetail. We got a big, big ride up in North American Whitetail with the deer. Um, so it was just incredible to, you know, 
see stuff like that. He calls me up. I'm out at, out at uh, Vallas, out of the pumpkin patch with my daughter. And he goes, I just shot him. He texted me and I'm like, you're kidding me. And he's like, I'm, I'm literally stopped in the middle of Vallas, you know, everybody walking around us and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm like, I told my wife, I says, oh my God, he Clint just shot Forky. And he's like, what? And I'm waiting for his response. He goes, yes, I really did. And I'm like, okay, we're leaving here. So we <laughs> packed the kids up then and, and walked the re- finished the rest of through Vallas. And I drove down to Kansas City and uh, ended up uh, going down there. And we took pictures and had some beverages of choice, uh, sitting there looking at the deer and, and reminiscing. And yeah, it was a, a three-year quest after that deer. But it was, it was pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. That, that's that's pretty good that he was able to get after following it for so long. Yep. And it's yep. like it disappeared and then come back and. And, and ended up finding out finally that this deer was traveling about two miles um, from where, I mean, he was ended up finding a gentleman that actually had pictures of this deer a couple miles away. So it was, it was just an incredible story just to figure out some of the patterns of this deer and, and how that all worked through trail cameras and just, you know, talking to other hunters and, you know, because obviously a deer that big wasn't going unnoticed necessarily, either, oh. you know, <laughs> so there was, there was more than one guy hunting that deer. So, yeah. Yeah. I just, but, it just turned out that he was the, the lucky one to get it in the right place at the right time you know he passed up 165 inch deer the night before that um just he just you know had the deer at eight yards and just said no he says i i know forky the big deer is out here and uh he says i'm gonna wait and by gosh he goes out the next night and kills the deer the next night it just you know could have shot could have shot that other deer and been ecstatic with 165 inch deer but ends up holding up sticking to his guns and actually kills kills a 215 inch deer then so yeah it's if that's what you're going after don't saddle for anything less that's why you should nope. Do <laughs> nope but by the same token roy i've, I've told a thousand people that a deer with a bow is a trophy in itself i yes. i don't a doe or a spike or anything my my heart gets going just as much with what i tell my wife i'm going to try to bring a doe home tonight my heart's racing just the same as if it's a you know a 200 inch deer yeah it, it, there's just something about archery that you know any any doe is or any deer is is a trophy because you know it, it takes you know a lot of skill and and practice yes you get the skill to to do yep. it that is for sure a lot of skill, a lot of, a lot of patience and practice and, and everything like that. It's, it's a lot different being able to get a deer within 20 yards than it is 200 yards, you know? Right. Now so, I had, um, I talked to, um, I think it was Jack Frost. He was up North. He was doing the big plan yep. thing. And so it asked him one time, I said, what's the difference between a gun hunter and a bow hunter? And he says, the time you spend hunting. Mm-hmm. It's a free trip. It's the same amount of time. You have to figure out where you're going, learn the area, and you get out there and you hunt. After you kill the animal, it's the same amount of work, no matter what you killed it with. Yep. With a rifle, like you, you, you said earlier, you, you might get out there first day. It's like, ooh, that's a nice one. Shoot. You're, you're yep. done in a few, few minutes to a few hours. <laughs> uh, with a bow, it's like it's too far away. Like you talked about that one that you got. It's like you got to work. You know, Three days later, you're still trying out. You're still hunting for three, four days. Yep. And you finally get your shot and 
you know, that's the, that's the difference is how long it takes you to get to your deer. <laughs> yep. That's exactly right. Exactly. So. Yeah, I, I've asked several uh, rifle hunters, like, have you shot any deer under hundred yards? <laughs> I'll say, uh, no, once in a while you'll find one to say yes. Like, oh, mm -hmm. shot any under 50. Oh, well, no, I'm just now getting excited. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. My, that my first year was 40 yards and I've never shot one that far since. It's always been, well, I try to set up for 20 yard shots, but they're normally 10 yards or less. That's yep. where I normally get. Yep. Especially here in Eastern side of this state, you know, shooting my, my deer around here. I, boy, I'll tell you what, if it's much over 20 yards, I'm just like, yeah, there's too much stuff going on out here. You know, there's <laughs> a lot of trees and I don't want to track this thing forever. And, and I'm pretty deadly inside of 20 yards and, and, you know, if I patient enough, I can usually, you know, they will make a mistake. Maybe not the first night, but maybe the second night or the third night, I'll get a chance at them, you know, inside of 20 yards and, and make a great shot and, and be able to bring some home, some, uh, some meat then. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's what it's, you know, what we're doing it for is get out there and spend some time outside and, mm -hmm. and, you know, I've got a couple of properties that are not the best, but, you know, we're going to work on, uh, getting them a little better and yep. I know there's deer in there is just get them through at the right time. Oh yeah. Yep. I try to help out. I do a little thermal coyote hunting. I've got a thermal, so I do a little coyote hunting. So that's trying to help my, my properties out that way. And that's, that's always another little thing I can, can help out and, and try to try to make things a little better that way. So that, uh, that's been another kind of cool thing that I've gotten into lately too. So. Yeah, we at night it's not unusual for us to hear coyotes howling sometimes yep. two, three different directions. Yep. I have a trail cam picture of a uh, of a doe fighting a uh, coyote this year already. And I'm guessing, I'm sure that she had a fawn there that she was just trying to protect a fawn. And the, you know, it's overlooking a food plot, and this coyote was out in the food plot, and the doe was out in the food plot, and she's facing right at this coyote. She's not backing down from it. So I'm guessing she's trying to protect one of her fawns or something, you know. Yep. Yeah. Well, they kill, they kill a lot of deer. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's for sure. So. And I'd rather have more deer than coyotes. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's for <laughs> sure. Yep. Yeah. It, it, I, I see, you know, some of the videos once in a while, somebody doing the, the, the night shooting of the coyotes and pigs yep. and stuff. And yep. Yeah. You, know, you got to have some, good area that you know that your backstop is is safe you know because yep. you know around here there's there is a few houses around here it's oh yeah not a lot but there is a few yep i've got a buddy who's a uh uh seed salesman and chemical rep up in uh came up there and uh brett kazemba he sells uh sells seed and chemical up there so he knows a lot of the farmers up there he is very good friends with a lot of the farmers and the fields up there he knows you know lot of these fields where these coyotes are and where they're having problems so i go up there and i hunt uh, quite a bit with him with my thermal and uh you know we'll take an evening and okay let's go and uh we go start bouncing around through the through the pastures and fields and going from field to field to field and just trying to do some calling and and we've we've had a blast up there we've we've done really well up there it's it's a lot of fun now do that um throughout the summer and and stuff as well or Mostly, no, mostly we don't, we don't usually get out in the summer just because the crop fields and stuff like that are still in. It's like, I mean, in the middle of the night, we can, you can set up a hundred yards from a, you know, a draw or a CRP field or, you know, a, a, a someplace where the deer are. And I can go sit out right out in the middle of a pick bean field then. 
And I'll call those coyotes right out into the middle of a pick bean field. And, you know, at midnight, they can't see me, but I can see them still. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it uh, it works out well. It, it's pretty cool. And it's really a cool thing, too, from a scouting perspective for deer, just to use uh, my thermal scouting. Oh, um, yeah. Like right now with all their the, the velvet, you can see all of their horns now, plain as day with the velvet now. So, oh, yeah, because the, the, the blood running through there is a heat signature. Yep, yep. And so you a uh, picture of a deer at night right now is absolutely show, shines like a neon sign right now. So you can see the bucks count the points, everything like that at uh, out in the middle of the night right now. So yeah, that, that's that's kind of cool. I, I've been wanting to get some some of the coyotes gone from the one property because there's there, there's a den right there that we come across and oh, okay, yeah, sure looks like a den and and yep. I get lots of coyotes walking around off all the all the cameras and um, mm -hmm. you know just need to get rid of some of those get the deer in there. Uh, the, oh, the, the 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 farmer said, "Well, I haven't seen any deer in quite a while." It's like, yeah, well, they're just yeah. not coming through when you're up. Yeah. They're coming That's through right. when you're sleeping. That like, is right. Yep. Well, but <clears throat> so yeah, it's uh, but yeah, I I everything outdoors my license plate say fish and hunt and that's uh that is not far from the the truth there i get out and i do it all outdoors so well I, if i go by and i see a plate that says fish and hunt i'm gonna have to honk at you and wave at you <laughs> yep definitely. so yeah i've had them plates for a lot of years and uh it's uh i get out and and do it all it's uh i've scored a i scored a deer for the guy in omaha that has hunt and fish and it was funny because we actually, once our plates had to be renewed, we actually swapped plates. So I have a fish and hunt plate and a hunt and fish plate that's actually his. So I got it on my wall. That's pretty cool. Oh, <laughs> so. yeah, that, that'd be kind of cool. It's like hunting fish and fish and hunting swap yep. plates. See, that, 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 that's kind of cool. <laughs> yep. Yep. So. Yeah, yeah that's, that, that's, that's kind of <clears throat> interesting. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Yep. I, I know um, a couple of guys that I used to work with because in Sarpy County in La Vista, it's 59 County. Yep. And he said there's many times that he went out, knocked on the door if I can, you know, see if he can hunt there. And the guy look out and look at his plates. <laughs> oh, he yeah. Because it was 59, it wasn't a one or two he got to hunt. Yep. That's uh, where I hunt out by Valentine. That is exactly, if you have Omaha plates, you just as well keep right on driving. Unfortunately, it's, I got a six plate, so. <laughs> yep, yep. But yeah, with my fish and hunt, I, you know, go up and knock on the door and talk with them. And they're like, oh, well, who are you hunting on? Well, I'm hunting over there on John's ground. Oh, oh, John's letting you hunt? Oh, well, if John's letting you hunt, yeah, sure, that's no problem. Go ahead and you can hunt my property too then. So, <laughs> but yep, it's uh, it's just a different different story out there. They're, they're looking at license plates and they want you to talk to them for a couple hours out there. You, you <laughs> no, no problem, right? <laughs> that's, that's right. I got plenty of stories. We'll go in and we'll chat for chat about the weather or cattle or anything like that. It, just as long as you let me hunt, I'm, I'm good with that. Well, and I just read a couple of guys that every, every season, you know, crop season, they, you know, there's four or five of them that go help the farmer out, bring the crops in. And, yep. and, and you know, it's like, hey, I've had some of this like, hey, when you get ready to do this, let me know. Uh, yep. I'll come on and help you. They never call you. Most of them don't yeah. ever call you. But I know it's like, hey, 
I'll, I'll come out and help. You know, I'm getting older. I can't physically do as much as I used to, but I'm going to do whatever I can. That's right. That's right. Well, yep. Well, it's it's been a lot of fun talking with you. You got some amazing stories, and uh, I'm sure we're going to hear hear some more stories someday. But uh, yep, I'm sure we'll run each other one of these days. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yep. So, and say if if anybody's out and about on uh, July 25th, come on down to Bellevue. We've got uh, that youth uh, that youth bow fishing we're going to do that night, and uh, do a little. Uh, um, you know, with the Nebraska Game Parks, do a little bit of uh, mentoring with that. So, yeah, if somebody wants to uh, come on down, check it, check out a, a boat uh, for bow fishing and stuff. Yeah, swing on down. Yeah, you can just go to, to um, um, Nebraska's Game and Park website. I think it's OutdoorNebraska.com. Yes, think, yep. I think that's where it is. Yep. And they've got uh, kind of a, a schedule as to where they're going to be because they do it the – the youth, uh, the fishing, uh, free fishing nights, or well, youth fishing nights. I just did one up at uh, Benson Lake uh, about a week ago, and was up there and I did one and we had quite a few people out. My, uh, I took two little girls out and uh, they each caught uh, one caught a bullhead, and one caught a little bluegill, so they were all excited about that. So, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, you know just check out the the Game Parks website and uh, you know maybe might see some people around. Yeah. So how is the fish not at Benson Park? been many years since i've been there <laughs> uh a few little fish not a whole lot and the water was uh water was about 95 degrees out there i think and and uh the little girls i was with they were more interested in getting in the water than actually fishing i think so oh. <laughs> yeah i did keep them entertained long enough that they were each able to catch a fish so they they caught one bullhead and one little bluegill so they were all happy they were excited yeah you know. well, that, that may be all it takes to get them hooked <laughs> that's right that's right so but. well it's it's been great talking with you amazing yeah. stories uh, it's just so exciting to hear hear some of your stories you had is you know mm -hmm. something I, I would have never thought a dream up of making up that kind of a story and yet <laughs> it happened to you and yep yep <laughs> uh, that yeah that, that's always the good part is when you hear these these stories that are different and it, it's it's a lot of a lot of fun hearing all these stories and just talking mm -hmm. archery. <laughs> yep. That's what, that's, that's why I say, that's why I got into scoring the deer for Pope and Young and Boone and Crockett and those guys was just, just to be able to have people come over to the house and hear the stories. That's what yeah. I, I love it. So. Yeah, it's, it, it's been a lot of fun and we'll have to do this again someday. And definitely, definitely anytime. Yeah. Well, it's been great talking with you. My name is Rory Canterbury. I've been your host and Arch Talk 101 and we'll see everybody on the next one. So stay tuned and follow the podcast and let us know what you think.